You are listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. The world is evolving. Your investments should too. Hi there, this is Raj Lal, and I'm joined by David Senf, who's the founder at Severity. David's actually an IT research and advisory thought leader and executive with a particular focus on cybersecurity, of course. Uh, he's appeared in a variety of publications, including the Globe Mail, CBC, The Star, Wall Street Journal, as well as the magazine Wired. Uh, David, thanks a lot for joining us today. Thanks for the invite, Roz. Appreciate it. So why don't we start by maybe you can tell everyone a little bit about Severity. Um, obviously, you're, you're promoting cybersecurity risk awareness uh, and maybe you can give everyone a little bit of a, an overview of what you're actually doing right now in the cybersecurity world. Yeah, for sure. In the cybersecurity world, a place where you just see so much change, but also so much negative impact. I mean, when we think about just what's happening here in Canada, where our economy is losing billions of dollars annually, well in excess of $10 billion to cybercrime, uh, and organizations are being impacted by incredible amount of downtime. What we see in the market from a severity standpoint is there's a lot of friction between buyers and sellers in the market. In other words, there's a lot of inefficiencies. So what we want to do is to help the buyers figure out out of all these different solutions, all of these different vendors, what is it that I should be buying? What do I put in place to be a little bit more secure? And then from the seller's standpoint is helping them connect with the market to be able to say, what is it the customer really actually needs? What are their actual pain points? How do I sell and market all this stuff that I have? Uh, and again, so it's really to reduce that inefficiency in the market. So when you when we look at the world of cybersecurity, I mean, I think part of the uh, the macro view is that we are an increasingly connected society. Uh, you know, numbers like 20 billion devices connect, interconnected or connected online today. Uh, like right now, I've got a, a bunch just sitting on my desk. Um, that obviously creates more opportunity for cyber criminals, and you know, on the flip side of that, creates more a greater need for uh, for cybersecurity. Where do you see all of that? Uh, where do you see all of that going? Yeah, and we all have so many more devices, and we don't often even think about how many we have, our Nest thermostats, our Echobee thermostats, or, you know, you name all the different devices, the, the Sonoses, and all the different connected speakers that we have, all the Bluetooth devices. Not sure if you just saw, but there was some new vulnerabilities found in Bluetooth mm -hmm. uh, and uh, in Wi-Fi, et cetera, that are, that are pretty big and problematic for individual consumers to deal with, for small businesses, and for large organizations as well. And so the connected devices are not necessarily what the cyber criminal is after. There is a cohort of them that will be after because they want to use that unused processing power, even in something as small as your Nest thermostat, to be able to do things like run crypto mining software and that kind of thing. It's incredible the, the lengths you can go to to try and mine the next Bitcoin. But on top of that, what generally, though, they're going to use it for is a means into crown jewels, into sensitive data that you otherwise don't want exposed. And one of the biggest problems is that consumers and the small businesses and even big businesses who really should know better 
aren't updating these devices and the industry doesn't have standards that says you have to force people to update these devices. In other words, the device will go out on its own and say, hey, I need a patch. I need to update myself against this vulnerability so this attacker can't compromise me. So until the industry comes to a point where those devices have a standard approach, they go out and they patch themselves, we as consumers <clears throat> and as businesses need to make sure that all the wearables we have, the IoT devices, all the things outside of our base, Windows, Linux, Mac, laptops, we, we kind of know we should keep those up to date. But as you're pointing out, Raj, it's really important is to keep all the connected devices we have updated as well. Yeah, and in your mind, I mean, obviously there's certain things that we can do as individuals, but don't, do you feel that, you know, the onus of that protection really falls on the companies, the companies like the, the Nests of the world, for example, or Apple? Um, is, isn't the onus on them? The onus absolutely should be on them, and they are taking better steps, in particular Google and Apple. Uh, to ensure that they've got updates coming out and that organizations like, so in the case of Google, that Samsung and all the other players that work with them are also updating devices on a regular basis. And so there's definitely some positive movement in the industry, but there are so many more exposed devices that frankly are just never going to be updated. There's a company, they want your 30 bucks for a router or 50 bucks, whatever it is. They're never going to be updating that device. So it's really up to you as the consumer or as the business, unfortunately, to, to update that. But it's also, you know, you can pay a little bit more sometimes for a little bit more security. And so, um, Certain brands you can go that are a little bit more recognized, maybe a little bit more willing and able to yeah. continue to update those devices. So let's be careful, caveat emptor in that case. Right? Yeah, and let's talk about kind of the threat severity because I think it's important. Um, you know, like let's use an example. I use a, I use a Fitbit. Uh, obviously, we live in a world today where there's so much data, right? I mean, you know, I've seen stats that uh, 90% of the world's data has really come about in the last few years, and it's basically doubling every two years, primarily because, going back to our first point, which is, you know, we have uh, an increased amount of connectivity, which means that there's more companies that know exactly what we're doing on a daily basis. But do I really care? Um, do I really care that, you know, there's data out there that shows how, how many hours of sleep that I get or how many steps uh, I did uh, that day? And what would be the threat uh, to me uh, for that kind of data exposure? Yeah, great question, because to be honest, if someone compromised similarly, you know, my Fitbit or Apple Watch, and they were able to get at some of the data that's residing on there that says how many steps I took today, well, great. So someone else is tracking what I should be tracking. Great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right? I get you. But here's the problem. Those are the inroad, the on-ramp into all your other systems. So, they are launching points for an attacker to be able to, for example, trick you into thinking that you're going to this, you know, the right website. You think you're going to Amazon.com, but actually you're not. And how they're able to do that was get into your router through another device, then get onto your computer, then be able to fake where your DNS, where your website is going to resolve to, your browser, and able to push you off to somewhere where you didn't expect to go. In so doing, 
uh, being able to get information from your PC or your Mac that maybe you didn't want to have released or be able to put malicious code on there like ransomware or what have you. So unfortunately, we need to care about those devices because they're the way that uh, attackers are going to be able to compromise the things that we actually care about. Yeah, so it's a gateway. So it's almost like like shifting over to the corporate side. Forget about the individual side, but the, the corporate side uh, where, um, you know, an internal employee will click on a link and uh, a hacker now has an entry point into a, uh, into a company's uh, information. Is that same type of gateway? Absolutely. Or, you know, in the case of Target, it was an HVAC system in one of their suppliers where that was the gateway ultimately into, you know, what uh, exposed of, of tens of millions of, of records of personal information and cost them. I mean, we're still talking about it today. And we see that typically that there are ways, and we just saw that HP printers and fax machines, I don't know about you, Raj, I don't send out too many faxes anymore, but <laughs> apparently those devices are still in common use in some organizations. And uh, I can use that device to be able to, to run other uh, malicious code uh, on other systems within your network. So absolutely key points to, to be aware of. Yeah, I think I saw, um, I think I saw a study a, a little while ago. You know, a lot of the big organizations, they send out these test emails to all employees um, with some verbiage and then a link. And uh, I don't think there's ever been an organization that has had a 0% of uh, employees actually click on that link. 100% of organizations will have someone in the company yeah. that clicks on that link. And there's a bunch of stuff like know before. There's a bunch of companies where you can get services and they'll help you set that up where you send out a bunch of email to employees and it says, hey, I'm kind of legitimate and you're actually running a phishing scam against your employees and then you get the statistics and you take all those employees, maybe who did well or didn't do well, you bring them into training sessions. You can say, hey, look, here's what happened. Here's what we think you need to do to improve yourself. But I'll tell you this, very few Canadian organizations actually do that. Very few actually train their employees. And the first line of defense is training employees. And yet we find that very few companies actually do it. And it's so inexpensive. It's much cheaper than buying a really big firewall. And yet it's going to be far more effective at the end of the day. Um, but, again, we don't see organizations taking the time to teach their employees about these are the tools you can use, like LastPass and all the other password manager tools, mm. like being able to understand what sensitive data to collect or to not collect, uh, what to click on and not to click on. So all those kind of things, really easy to train employees on, buy them some pizza, bring them into the lunchroom or whatever <laughs> that is, uh, and start to train them on that. But, again, we don't see enough of that happening. But I like the idea that you're pointing out of, you know, just – getting people to really notice by kind of tricking them a little bit into clicking on a link and then showing them that they actually did that. Yeah, I think a lot of organizations do it, and I think I saw that, you know, um, the average is close to, surprisingly high, it's close to 10% uh, of, the, uh, of the employee base actually clicked on the link. So, yeah, and you know what? They're getting so much better attackers at being able to get the information about you and use that in targeted ways. And so they're using... Uh, AI, they're using machine learning to be able to call through all of your social network and that of your friends and would have you find better and better information about you. So it's getting easier for them to craft emails that look so much more legit, so much better, and it's very difficult. Even for security pros, wind up falling into these traps as well. No one's immune to this, right? And so yeah. it's 
really just being as where as possible. When you're, you're clicking on something where someone's going to ask for your credentials, make sure that uh, by credentials, I just mean username and password, is just make sure that uh, you're comfortable with that or have two-factor authentication. So even if you do give away your password and your username, it doesn't matter because if they don't have your smartphone or what have you, don't have that second factor of authentication, then they won't be able to get into your accounts or what have you. Yeah, so I think most people are, you know, uh, when they when they picture that cyber uh, hacker or that cyber criminal, they think of um, they think of people from other foreign countries and you know trying to trying to uh, trying to breach their their system. But um, as as you know, uh, a lot of cyber crime actually takes place from internal uh, sources where you have an internal employee that. Uh, that breaches the data and either sells it to somebody who then goes and sells it on the dark web or they go and actually uh, sell it themselves. Is that more difficult to protect against as an organization, protect against uh, your, your internal employees? And, and, and what's the process, how's the process different from protecting against internal employees and protecting against external forces? Yeah, for sure. And we've seen some pretty big breaches uh, happen in that way. We saw a major hotel chain uh, get breached in, in that very way. Millions of records got exposed and that kind of thing. So there's there's all kinds of, of insider threats that wind up compromising an organization. It's definitely less than the outside threat. And I'd be far more concerned with the outside threat. But you know what? The threat vectors are actually fairly similar in terms of how you're going to be compromised. So, you know, things like data loss prevention to your question of, okay, well, what do you do about it? You know what data you need to protect, and you can start to classify that data, and you can start to put rules in place that say this data can't leave, you know, this network, or this data can't leave this database, or what have you. And so the software itself is getting better and better at detecting just literally that string of characters. It might be a credit card number, it might be a social insurance number, or whatever that might be. Okay, let's say that fails, and let's say he's a really clever employee, and they're starting to do things that maybe, you know, are out of the regular pattern of what they would normally do. We've got good companies here in Canada uh, who are building technologies, companies like Interset and others, who are building technologies that monitor the behavior of users and see, does this match what normally we would expect for Dave to be doing at 1 o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon or whatever time of day that might be, and can actually flag that and send that up to my manager or send that off to the security department or what have you and say, hey, this just doesn't quite look right. Do you think this is okay? Right. So there's a couple different lines of defense that organizations can use. Uh, in order to be able to protect themselves against the insider threat. And you know what? In so doing, they're also protecting themselves against some of the outside threats because if you've put VLP in place and you've put some of the other user behavior technologies in place, they can also see that, hey, wait, this isn't normal behavior and put a stop to the outside threat that would be exfiltrating that data as well. And by that exfiltrating data, I just mean pulling the data out of your company. Right. So let's shift gears for a moment, talk about um, our federal government. Uh, as you know, in June, they rolled out a $500 million cybersecurity strategy. Um, is, this, is this enough? And what are other governments doing uh, out there? And does, does, is this, you know, from a Canadian perspective, enough to compete? Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple big changes this year. And so that's one of them. It's a, okay, first question first. It's a drop in the bucket. 
Um, it's small by comparison to the losses, as I'm saying, you know, 10 billion plus losses that we're looking at uh, in terms of cybercrime. Uh, as I mentioned, we've got hundreds of thousands of days of downtime. We've got tens of millions of records of personally identifiable information getting exposed, et cetera. So it's a drop in the bucket. And by the way, it's, you know, 500 million over X number of years. So it's a smaller component this year. What I do like about it is that they're going after, they're looking for small businesses, helping to train them. I think that's really important. Them and the Canadian mid-market, unfortunately, are exposing a disproportionate amount of personally identifiable information and are at bigger risk than some of our larger companies are. Um, what's also happening, though, this year, November 1st, 2018, Digital Privacy Act mandatory breach notification comes into play. So before, if your company exposed a record of personally identifiable information, which could be something like a personal email or something like healthcare information or what have you, a range of different things that would fall into that category, there's now up to a $100,000 fine per record exposed. So if you expose 10 records, that could be a million dollars in fines. Will you actually get fined a million dollars? Probably not, but does pip it up, personal information, protection, electronic document act, say that 10 times, which is now just shortened to Digital Privacy Act, does, you know, will we see that level of, uh, of attention being paid? I think so. I think we'll see organizations um, starting to pay attention, starting to realize, okay, I better take this a little bit more seriously. There's real fines in place. In the same way that Europe introduced GDPR, and we saw stricter restrictions around what companies can and can't do. We now see a little bit more in that in Canada. So to your first part of your question, though, can we do more? Absolutely. Uh, are there ways that, uh, from a law enforcement standpoint, we can do more? Absolutely. I think we need to take cybercrime far more seriously from a federal, provincial, and municipal standpoint and put the enforcement in place, just in the same way that, you know, if, if a criminal broke into your house, and stole something out of your house, you wouldn't say, oh, oh, David, how did you let that happen? How how would you? No, you would say, oh, my gosh, that, that's horrible that it happened to you. But in cybersecurity, we say, oh, you bad user. How did you click on that link? How could you be so silly? So we've kind of got this mindset that's not properly aligned with the fact that these are criminals who are taking this information and causing this damage. And I think from a law enforcement, uh, prosecutory standpoint, and then from an overall government investment standpoint, there's absolutely more that government can do. Do you think going beyond government and taking a look at, you know, big, big, big organizations, firms, like let's say, for example, Fortune 500 companies, do you think they're doing enough right now uh, to protect against cybercrime? Yeah, I think that they think they are. So what often happens is that, so if measured organizations with higher budgets and lower budgets, and you know what's interesting is if you can measure an organization, they can have the highest cybersecurity spends, and actually they're less secure than other organizations are spending less. What happens is that the spend often isn't allocated as appropriately as it could be. And so when we think about doing ongoing threat risk assessments, which all that really means is looking across all the different devices you have, like we were talking about at the beginning of the show, looking about all the different types of data that you have, and being able to understand how you're going to most effectively protect that. Spending the dollars appropriately is the biggest problem we see among the larger organizations and really just allocating it most effectively as they can. 
So we absolutely do see that in our Canadian financial services sector, you know, that they're among the most secure uh, in the country and doing a really good job. Um, we see that some of our retailers, unfortunately, are just hitting the compliance tick boxes, so probably aren't as secure as they could be. And even some of our government agencies aren't as secure as they necessarily could be based on not allocating the money absolutely that they could be. So when you think about um, the, the cybersecurity budget of, let's, let's just say, you know, any Canadian bank, um, do you have a sense of what percentage of the budget is being allocated to external cybersecurity services versus internal cybersecurity services? Yeah, so typically what happens is you'll have, so organizations will tell you, so if we went and interviewed a company now, they'll tell, well, I spent 10% of my IT budget on cybersecurity. If you actually go measure it, it's much less than that. It's about half, so 5% or less. Um, of that spend, what you'll find is about 40% is on their internal labor, and then the rest is on the solutions that they're going to buy and the outside services that they're going to purchase. So from that, what you'll find is that in that remaining bucket, so our remaining 60%, is that you've got about 50% of that that's spent on outside services. So consulting services, training services, managed security services are going to be spent on that. Which, if I submit that out, they'll give you a dollar amount. It'd be about, you know, $1.3 billion a year that gets spent on outside external services in Canada. And um, that's interesting. Uh, I, I figured it was close to 50-50 uh, between internal and and external uh, services. I, are they are a lot of them working with multiple cybersecurity uh, providers, or typically they just kind of you know just settle on one that's their preferred for their you know their software, hardware, and consulting. Yeah, we find that, that organizations have this mismatch of technology in their company and that they're dealing with so many different disconnected, disparate solutions that it's very difficult for an organization to be secure because the, the security market in the IT space, the cybersecurity market, is one of the most fragmented markets. There's so many little players who come up with so many different solutions that target all these new problems that emerge on a daily basis. And so there are so many uh, companies that, that organizations can buy from, and so that's what they're doing. They're going out and buying the next solution, the next solution, and then there isn't necessarily this overarching umbrella that helps them integrate it all together. So unfortunately, you do wind up finding that you'll have a lot of different piece parts that are all kind of being put together to try and mm. knit together one cybersecurity strategy. So it's a, it's a big problem that you just pointed to, which is lots of vendors that organizations are dealing with in their company. So do you see that? You, you mentioned that about 10%, or sorry, that it, some people say it's about 10%, but in actuality it's about 5% of an IT budget is being spent on cybersecurity. Do you see that number? If you had a crystal ball and you look five years out, and, you, and let's say – I know we talked about the banks, but let's just let's just use that same number for the Fortune 500 companies out there that they're spending five percent of their IT budget on cybersecurity. Where do you see that number going in the next five years? Yeah, for sure. So let's say four percent of that number, roughly, will be spent on this bucket we call protect, which is just putting all the firewalls in place and then having, you know, maybe someone look after that and spend spend time doing that. Where we see that that last one percent is on things like detect and respond. So I want to detect and monitor my network and watch for attackers coming after my company and be able to respond really quickly because if you can, the faster you can respond, 
the less data they're actually going to be able to pull out of your company and the less downtime you'll have, the fewer PCs and the fewer servers that will be compromised. And so it's that detection that's really growing fast. And so we see a lot of these players coming up in Canada, these managed security service providers, and there's a lot more of them coming into the market and um, helping organizations monitor their firewalls, monitor all those solutions we were just talking about, and be able to detect when an attack might have happened. And they've got these analysts and these what they call threat hunters, and the threat hunter goes in and they look through your network and try and uncover where an attacker might be hiding somewhere in your network. And that's where we see more of the dollars going to. So whereas it used to go towards, you know, putting in an extra few dollars into buying that next firewall, now it's going into detecting that someone has actually compromised that firewall and that someone has compromised something on my network and then responding very quickly. So that's really where the dollars are going in the next little bit. Another area where we do, Raj, see a lot of growth is in cyber insurance. And so mm-hmm. lots of activity happening within that market as organizations throw their hand up and say, you know what, I know it's not if but when, and so I better have a policy in place. But believe me, the cyber insurers, it's a bit of a wild west there, too. So they want you to have a really good threat risk assessment before they're going to uh, insure you as well because they want to know that, you know, you're going to be a good customer and that kind of thing. It's kind of like when you're getting your home insurance, they ask, well, how many fire detectors do you have? How many fireplaces do you have? That kind of thing. They're going to ask you similar types of questions just from a cybersecurity standpoint. What, um, what insurance companies are kind of leading the way in cyber insurance right now? Lots I, I of Heard Chubb is becoming big in it, but but you'd probably know better. Yeah, they are AIG. There's a bunch of uh, you, you name it. They're all trying to get into the space. We've got a bunch of startups as well. You've got Ridge Canada that, that's uh, uh, in that space to, uh, mm-hmm. from, from an underwriting and working with brokers and that kind of standpoint. So it's a big uh, ecosystem from the underwriters to the brokers, et cetera, et cetera. So. Um, all your traditional players are moving into that space and expect to see them continue to dominate uh, within that market, but expect a whole ecosystem develop of firms who basically just help them using AI and using other technologies determine, have you appropriately established risk? Because if you don't know what your costs are, and believe me, Warren Buffett doesn't think they're going to be able to figure out effectively what risk is, and that actuaries in that space is just crazy because there's no way you're going to be able to establish it. That's what he just said back in May, and I think there's a lot of people that would agree. So that's why you see a lot of companies now coming up trying to help the cyber insurance companies really establish what is risk and and what might my losses be because they also know it's not if but when. All my customers at some point are going to get compromised. So what's it really going to cost me and uh, what will it cost me to protect and what should the premiums actually be? So, yeah, all the big players getting into the space and, uh, you know, and we expect to see that kind of continue. And there's a lot of different kinds of cyber insurance that customers can look at. You um, mentioned a buzzword or buzz acronym, I guess, right now is AI. I've talked to a lot of uh, cybersecurity uh, experts out there, and it seems to be a very polarizing uh, topic, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, as it relates to cybersecurity. Really quickly, because I know we're running out of time, are you a big believer that artificial intelligence will have a big role uh, in the future of cybersecurity or not? 100%. Humans cannot. There's not enough hands on keyboards, not enough eyes on glass. Without AI, 
we're going to continue to lose to the bad guys. Believe me, the, black, the bad guys are already, are already using AI against us and uh, using better and better tools. We absolutely have to use it. It's becoming deeper ingrained within some of the leading solutions that are out there and some of the leading MSSPs that are out there as well. So absolutely, we've got to use it, and it's going to help the humans be better at what they do. Great. Really quick, uh, two or three predictions for your industry over the next few years? Yeah, more, more, and more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. It's really, there's going to be a lot more attacks. There's going to be a lot more government involvement, kind of coming back to what we were saying about there. And I think that's important. We're at a point where, you know, 100 years ago, uh, cities like Toronto were burning to the ground. We had these massive fires that took out hundreds of buildings in the Toronto downtown core. We saw that in Boston, Chicago, London, et cetera. And then insurers and the government said, this is, what, what is madness. How can we let this continue? And so that doesn't happen anymore. We're at that point now where governments and insurers and others are saying, look, we can't have this anymore. And so watch for a lot more government involvement. Watch for a lot more policy coming up. Watch for a lot more enforcement coming as well. So I expect uh, for the next little while, unfortunately, the attackers, the balance of power is still uh, on their side. But uh, I think with a concerted effort, we can start to change that. But that's going to involve a lot more government. Great. Thanks a lot for your time today, David. That was really uh, interesting. Yeah, thanks for the time. I appreciate the discussion. Thanks, Ross. You have been listening to the Innovators Behind Disruption, a podcast series brought to you by Evolve ETFs. Remain educated. Be informed. Sign up for our newsletter and learn more at evolveetfs.com. 